0: Hello, and welcome to the Hope Reformed Baptist Church of Long Island's podcast. In this episode, we continue our series in the book of Micah. This lesson was presented by Mr. Lawrence Jeffrey on April 4th, 2021, during Sunday School. The lesson's title is The Corruption of the People and discusses Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast to hear future episodes. You can also visit our site Performed li.net and find us on Facebook and Sermon Audio for more information. So the last time we spoke, we were talking about mountains, right? Coming from Micah chapter 4. And this week we'll continue... Our discussion of uh, I say last week, last time I wasn't here last week, the time before then two weeks ago we' were discussing mountains <clears throat> and this week we will can pick up where we left off talking about them, but we're going to do it with a little bit of a twist. we're going to look at mountains in terms of Christ's death, burial and resurrection as they play a significant. Uh, factor there as well. So let's open with prayer, and then we'll look at our scriptures. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you, Lord, that we could gather as your people on this most sacred of days, the day where we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. We celebrate Christ's victory over sin, death of the devil, We celebrate our own victory over the grave, Father. We thank you, Lord, for uniting us to him. We have a new life in him. As he rose, we rise. Father, we do give you all thanks and all praise for that new life that we have in him. And we pray, Lord, as we look into your word, that you would guide us, teach us. and We might see you in it and how you work in this world. And our place in that world that you made, Father God. Because you have given us a great place in this world. Well, we pray that we would be wise. And not just hearers of the word only, but also doers. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so. <clears throat> last time, we asked the question, what are mountains? Right? And what do we say that mountains did or were? Does anyone recollect, have any sort of remembrance as to what mountains are, the significance? Good. Well, we were talking about the aspect of uh, the temple and the reaching toward God. Uh, yes. The pinnacle uh, being the, uh, in the temple being the holy foley. Uh, the idea also that men uh, try to mimic that in building like ziggurats. Yes, uh, they did. <clears throat> the yep, that's right. The mountains, they reach up towards the heavens, right? That's absolutely correct. So they're like that t- holy temple. And what else do they do besides reach up into the heavens? This is important, especially when we look at it in terms of what Christ accomplished. They reach up into the heavens. and they the Yep, they come down to the earth and their roots reach into the netherworld, right? Their roots reach into the nether regions. So, we asked the question, where was the first mountain mentioned in Scripture? Because this is also significant for our discussion. Genesis. Yep, Eden, right? Eden was a mountain. Yep, We saw that when we looked at Genesis, and we also went to Ezekiel 28 and showed that as well, right? And then we talked about the mountains in the... Uh, ancient pagan cultures, how all the gods dwelt on mountains, right? even the Greeks and Mount Olympus and um, all the things that occurred on those mountains, Um, how the gods defeated chaos on the mountains and then set up their tents or temples or kingdoms on top of those mountains where they govern the order of creation from them. And then like that's where these gods established the order of creation, right? <clears throat> where they met uh, and held conferences, I guess, and using our modern language, uh, feasts and councils. <clears throat> and we did speak about the ziggurats and temples, right? Uh, I don't know if we really spoke too much about Babel, I'm debating if we should or not. Yeah, well, you had in previous classes, you had Babel. Yeah, because it says something very specific about Babel, right? In Genesis, it says they built a city and a tower, right? Two specific things. They built a city and a tower. Sometimes that gets jumbled up, and we think of Babel as just being the city or just being the tower. But <clears throat> there are two very specific things. Does Babel show up anywhere else in Scripture? Anybody? Babylon. Babylon. Right. Shinar. Babylon. Yes. The significance of Babylon, when you think of Babylon, you go back. Everything takes you back to Genesis. And that's Babel. That's that place. So what would be the significance, then, of Babylon if... <clears throat> These men at Babel built a tower. And there's, what were they doing while they're building that tower? What were they trying to do? They were trying to ascend into the heavens. They're trying to fulfill the great lie of Satan, right? That they can be as gods. They're trying to overthrow the heavenly places. They're trying to um, leave their station on the earth and ascend into the heavens. Right? That's what they were attempting to do. And that's why God confused their language and threw them down. So, what's the significance of Babylon then? The the is Babylon signif- synonymous with the world? No, not necessarily. Um, it is part of the world system, but it has a very specific... Like, it, um, hmm, Man, I'm going to go far afield here. This is dangerous. I want to get to what we want to, what I want to talk about, but I guess everything's important. Okay. Uh, do you guys remember that statue that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed about? Right, who was Nebuchadnezzar? The, the first and greatest king of Babylon, right, in terms of, of biblical significance. He had a dream about a statue, and that statue, this is also very important, was one statue. And it had a head of bronze, a torso body of uh, silver, loins of uh, bronze, and feet of iron and clay, right? Its head was gold. What was the head? Who remembers? Yes. Yep, Dana said, you, O king, are the head of gold, right? Babylon is the head of gold. And then you have the next empire. Who remembers what the next empire is? The silver empire in that context. Who, who came after? Yeah, there were some before the Greeks. Who, who, who knows who it was? No, nope. the Syrians were actually before the Babylonians, the Medes and Persians. That's right. But if we look at from a natural perspective, I suppose we could say. From a chiefly geopolitical perspective, gold is better than silver, right? We know that. But the Persian Empire was larger, grander, richer than the Babylonian, Babylonian Empire. And what was the, the uh, midsection of, of bronze? Who was that? The Greeks. The Greeks that's right. And we know the Greek Empire was even greater than that of the uh, Persian Empire. And who was the feet of iron and clay? The Romans. And the Romans were better than all of them. Why, then, is the head of gold Babylon? Any thoughts on that? This is a guess. Sure. A real Did each one of those other empires build upon the empire before it? They did. They all built upon the empires that came before them. But um, but they, when you build on something, you make it more grand, right? Right. So then why then would the foundation oh, of right. the empire right. be gold? I'm, I'm going to guess, too, um, that the spiritual power or the which was best in a God- more diluted and more diluted and more diluted as time went on. And this is thereafter. I would say that you are correct in that. Like they were close, like the Babylonians were closer to the heavens, if you will, if you want to say that. I mean, re- there's a reason they're not the feet and they're the head. So if you think of just in terms of building on something, you start low and build yeah. up, yeah. right? Now, this also goes back again to... Um, To Babel, right? What were they attempting to do at Babel? They were attempting to ascend into the heavens. God chose specifically the, well, how do I even phrase this or frame this? I wasn't planning on going here, so this is just sort of, I mean, riffing, I have no notes on this, so this can go all over the place. It's dangerous. Um, But I would say that Nebuchadnezzar was converted. I would also say Cyrus was converted, and Darius, I would say that they were all converted, but some people say that Cyrus is Darius et cetera. I don't know. that's a debate that can that probably is true um <clears throat> Darius being Cyrus's mead name, I don't know how you would even say that, <laughs> but um regardless. The closeness of um, Nebuchadnezzar to the people of Israel, I believe, is what brought him, what what elevated him. Uh, The decree that he, you can go back and you can read in Daniel, the decree that he made. You see how close he was to the heavens, right? His relationship with God and the gods, Uh, that is, when I say the gods... I mean, the gods of his world. Now, the Roman Empire was very religious, very, very religious. However, they were a geopolitical force. Their might came from their military. Right? I mean, all of these kingdoms came, might came from the, their military. But uh, if you look at them, if you look at the Romans, they were very political, very worldly in that sense. Um, I'll, we're going to go back and we're going to look at this I think at a later time when I actually have notes on it so I could explain it better uh, but, but suffice it to say that Babel shows up all over in scripture even all the way down to the book of the revelations right in the book of the revelation you have the woman Babel Babylon the harlot right and who is that woman? Probably shouldn't do this, because this is also going to take us far afield. But who is that woman? Babylon. This is kind of important. for, for the, I mean, it, it, it is important, but is it that important for what we're talking about now? We could just use this as a side note. That, that woman, Babylon, is what? Yes, earthly Jerusalem. It is, yes, it's Jerusalem of, of that day. And she's riding on a beast, and that beast is Rome, right? Jerusalem, the one who crucified Christ, riding on the beast, Rome. Isn't that how they crucified Jesus? What did the, what did the leaders of Judah do? They sent Jesus to the Romans to be crucified so that they could keep their place and their power. Uh, Man, now, what does any of that have to do with mountains? Actually, this is an interesting note. How many... What was, what was Rome's nickname of that time, at that time? Does anyone know? What was Rome's nickname at that time? Does anybody know? What were they called? They were the city of seven hills, right? One thing that's very, very interesting... Um, how many hills are in Jerusalem? Seven. Yep, there are seven. And their nickname as well was the hit, the city of seven hills. So there is a parallel there between the two. Uh, this was well known in Christ's day. Uh, I was, when I was doing research last night, I, f- I found that out. I thought that was fascinating. So... Mm. Where uh um, Ezekiel now is not just pointing uh toward uh, Jerusalem but towards the hills and the mountains of Israel. Yeah. Is that the same concept there? Yeah, it is. It is. The hills and the mountains of Jerusalem. They're, looking at it from Well, as we were reading, uh Micah, right? When we go back to Micah chapter 1, we see, let's see, if we go from verse 3, For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down and he will tread on the high places of the land. And the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before him, like waters poured down a steep place. All this for the transgression of Jacob." and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. We don't need to go on from there. But yes, that's what he's referring to. Like the, the Israel was a land of mountains. It very significant in Israel. I mean, Elijah on Mount Carmel. I mean, Mount Zion itself is there. God's holy mountain. Now, I don't think I could do both of these things at the same time. So let's look, let's just read a little bit of Micah chapter 4. And then we'll discuss how this relates to Jesus' death and resurrection. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And it shall be lifted up above the hills, and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So, What do we see here? We see that the mountain of the house of the Lord is not the highest of the mountains at this time, right? It's a lower mountain. One thing that's very interesting is out of the mountains that existed in Jerusalem and Judah at that time is that the mountain where the temple was built upon is not the highest place in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, well, I guess technically speaking, this is outside Jerusalem, but the Mount of Olives is much taller than the than Mount Zion in that respect. And the place where Christ was crucified. Um, well, I should probably lay out this for you guys. Okay. If we look at a map of uh, Jerusalem, you'll see the Temple Mount, right? And the Temple Mount's over here. And to the east, for you guys to be over here, to the east of... Um, that you have the Mount of Olives right Mount Olivet over here outside of there that 's elevated above even here, and then to the west, you have the place where Christ was crucified uh, it 's generally understood that Golgotha was outside the western portion of that wall, and that is also taller than than there, so what we see here is something that they would have had some understanding of just by visually looking. Right? They would have seen that the mountain of the house of the Lord is lower than the mountains that are around about it. Right? But what did we say that that actually meant? What was Micah referring to when he says that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the chief of the mountains? The highest of the mountains. Does anyone Remember? Well, if you think about it, every single religion that they were surrounded with, their gods existed on mountains, right? And some of those mountains were very, very tall. Um, The Canaanite religion, specifically, their god, Baal, was on Mount Zaphon. Right, which was in the far north, or towards Syria, towards Damascus, over there. But it was a high mountain. It was the mountain of their god in the far north. The Mount of El was also a high mountain. And on these high mountains, the gods dwelt, right? according to these ancient religions. So you have Jerusalem, you have the Mount of the Lord, surrounded by all these other mountains that are larger than they, In which other gods dwelt. So, what's being said here? The mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the highest of the mountains. No? Nothing? There are other gods all around Jerusalem that are higher. Well, physically higher. Yes. And more powerful, right? I mean, at this point in time, what was happening to Jerusalem? By Assyria. That's right. So, what is this, what's being said here? That God is going to lower all other gods. He's going to establish himself as the chief of the gods. He's going to Make the other gods of no account. And all the peoples of all the nations shall flow to the mount of the house of the Lord. Right? Because he is the greatest of all the gods. That's what's being said there. They got this visually, and they also had this spiritually. They had this understood. Right? That's quite important, actually for what is today, right? Today is the, resur- the, the day of uh, Christ's resurrection. Now, Christ was crucified at Golgotha, right? We know this. Now, one thing that's interesting, people don't really under know where Golgotha comes from, the name, the etymology of the word, but there's something that happened that's quite significant in scripture that I think gives us a very large clue as to what Golgotha is and its significance. Um... What does Golgotha sound like? Gothic. Huh? Gothic. Gothic? It does sound like Gothic, but I mean, scripturally significant. Golgotha. Goliath of Gath. Right? What happened to Goliath? What's it? He was beheaded. And what happened to his head? Who knows what happened to Goliath's head? We're told something. What, what what happened to his head? Let's go to First Samuel 17. You could speak louder. <laughs> you could speak louder. 17, First Samuel 17. Okay, this is where David smashes Goliath in the head with a stone, right from his sling, and then he goes and he chops off Goliath's head. Let's look at verse um, 54 here. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Now, what's significant about that? Well, at this time, Jerusalem didn't belong to Israel, Jerusalem was under the rule of the Jebusites. So David took this head of this giant, and brought it to Jerusalem. Now, um, most people, at least in that day, said that Goliath's head was buried there, on a hill right outside Jerusalem. And if the name is any indication, it would have been on that very hill. Now, what's the significance of that? Why was the head crushed in with a stone and then brought to Jerusalem? What is the significance of that? Especially if that's the place where Christ was crucified. Well, yes, Go ahead. When you, talk, when you read Genesis, it talks about uh, that uh, the head will be crushed and his foot will be bruised. That's right. The yes, the head of Satan is crushed. Right? So, what's the significance of Christ being well, the cru- the cross, crucified there? If you want to look at it, Kind of like, an, uh, illustratively, mm-hmm. the cross is actually piercing the mountain of Golgotha, it's crushing the, uh, the mountain of uh, the skull. Right. It's yeah. It's crushing Satan in the death of Christ, uh, which is, is what we're Right. Yep. The, who were the Philistines again? Does anyone remember? We spoke about this quite a bit. The Philistines were Egyptians, right? You guys remember that? If you don't remember that, go back to Genesis chapter 10. What's up? We do now. You can go back to Genesis chapter 10 and read that. That is the genealogy of the sons of Noah. And the Philistines came from the line of Mizraim. Mizraim's name in our language is Egypt. Right, so they are Egyptians and that's significant that's something that we should remember as we read the scriptures Egypt shows up all over scripture just the same way the Babylonians do as a matter of fact they're the two great powers that we see one being I would say the religious powers and one being more of the earthly powers uh, if you will the religious powers being opposed being the Babylonians and the uh, earthly powers opposing God's people being the Egyptians. Now, the Egyptians being, well, the Philistines being Egyptians, God destroyed Egypt, right, when he brought the people out, and yet the people were still oppressed by Egyptians in the land, when they were in the land, right, namely the Philistines. And their great champion was Goliath. David, who was a type of Christ. Well, I should say it this way. Probably, this is kind of important, too, because I think things, but I don't know if people understand what I'm getting at here, what I'm driving at. There are spiritual forces that stand behind the earthly forces, right? That give them power. So, by taking the champion's head, what, what do you think would stand behind Goliath? Opposing... Uh, God's people. Satan. Okay. Good. That's that's good. Absolutely. So Satan standing behind the champion of the world and God's champion coming out and crushing his head and setting it up on this hill outside of Jerusalem, which was going to become the city of David, right? David ended up taking the Jerusalem from the Jebusites and making it his capital, and ultimately that's where God's house was made. Right? God chose Jerusalem to make it his home. So Christ is taken outside the city, and He is crushed at the same place where the where Satan was crushed, if you will, in a symbolic way, right? So what's being said there? What do you think is being said there? I mean, that's pretty interesting, right? Significant? No? Remember the bronze serpent? Who's the serpent? Christ. What's that? Christ. Christ is the serpent? Wh- well, who's the serpent? Yeah. Satan is the serpent, isn't he? Yeah, but Christ bearing the sins of man. Ah, yes, yes. What's that? What is? What's that? Wasn't the serpent on Moses' staff? Yeah, the serpent was on that on the on the staff. It, identified Christ it did. It did. It also identified Satan. All right? When Christ took on the sin of the world right. and he was crushed, what happened? Satan was defeated. Satan was, defeated. Satan was put to death. All right? <laughs> um we should show this, I think. I probably should show this a little bit better. Uh, okay. First, let's, let's look at some other things. Okay, so we have to the west of Jerusalem, to the west of the mountain of the house of the Lord, we have Christ being um, sacrificed there, lifted up on a tree. That's also significant, right? Because remember what we said about trees? They're like mountains, right? Their roots go down into the earth. And then up into the air do the branches go, right? And they meet the the ground, right? So it's also the same as a mountain. Mountains reach up into the heavens, the roots go down into the earth, and the like. So Christ, on a tree on this mount, is lifted up. Where is he ascended to at that point? He's in the air, right? What's the significance of that? Which is the dwelling place of? What's, what's in the air? What's up? Well, it's in the heavenly realm, right? What, what lives in the heavenly realm? Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Yes, the angelic beings, the spiritual realm is the air, right? Is, the, is that heavenly realm. So Christ is lifted up there, crucified there, in the realm of the angelic beings. What's going on there? Paul says this quite frequently, actually. If you want, you can see it very specifically in Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 2. Yeah. But Christ was put on display for the angels, wasn't he? He went into their realm and there he died. There he was sacrificed. Sacrificed. And there he defeated the spiritual forces of this world, right? Let's go with, let's see, chapter 2. Let's start in verse, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to give you a context here. Uh, verse 13 let's just start there and you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross right which is on a tree in the air right and what happened there there he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Christ is put on display on this cross. Right? What was the power of Satan? Death is the power of Satan. Right? And what happened there? How did Christ defeat death? Well, what's the power of death? Well, the power of death is the law. Right? He did. Well, the, the power of death is the law, right? That's why people die, because they violated God's law. Yes? That's why we die, because we're sinners. The sin What's that? The sin of Adam. He violated God's law. Right? Okay? God said, don't do this. And Adam did that. On that day, he died. That's the law of God that Adam violated. Okay, then it wouldn't be the Mosaic law. What wouldn't be the Mosaic law? well Rush Dooney said it this way every word that God speaks is law matter of fact when he talks about the word of God he says God's law word because every word that God says is law so yes uh, the Mosaic law is an expansion of that if you will of the law that God gave to Adam but either way men violate God's law now Paul tells us specifically in Romans chapter 5, that from the time of Noah to the time of Moses, that man did not sin in the same likeness as Adam because they didn't have the law specifically given. Adam violated God's law the way we violate God's law because God gave specific commands. Right? However, the law was still there working because death reigned, we're told, very specifically, so um, yes, every man violates God's law, and every now we violate God's law in the the same way Adam did because we are given specific commands and we break them. Okay, so either way, the reason men die is because they violate God's law. That's why Paul says here in Colossians that. Uh, let's see verse 14 by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross right so the debt that we owe God from violating his law that would be the legal demands is nailed to that cross which is the power of death right the legal demands Jesus was nailed to the cross and in him our death was nailed to that cross right we died with Christ. You've heard that before. That's what it means. And by doing so, remember what's the power of Satan? Death would be the power of Satan. right? By doing so, by Jesus being put on open display in the air, in the, in the realm of the angelic beings, he defeated, or he disarmed, because... They have no more power, right? Satan has no more power. So he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them uh, in him, as as Paul puts it there. This is important in Pauline doctrine. Paul says things like this a lot. Uh, all right, so just going back to what we were discussing, going back to what we were discussing, we have Christ... Um, crucified in the air, right? And then what happens to him? What happens to Christ at that point? He dies. He's taken down off of the cross. What? Okay, good. What's, in the, what's the tomb? What happens? What, what is the tomb called all through the Old Testament? Sheol, right? The grave. What is What is that? That would be the netherworld, right? Hades, as we call it. Christ is placed in the underworld. What happens when Christ is in the underworld? There, he preaches to those who are imprisoned there. Right, we're told that by Peter, and when he rises from the grave, he takes a host with him, as it were. We're told that by Paul in in Ephesians, right? Yes, in Ephesians. Um, So Christ, at this point, we see Jesus. Outside the city gates, he's lifted up, right? That's that heavenly part of the mountain, and then he's put into the earth. That's to be the roots of the mountain, right These are three realms. Um, you've heard of middle Earth, right? Do you know where that comes from? Besides Tolkien? do you know where he, <laughs> do, you, do you know where he got that from? Huh? No, no, he didn't. He got it from the Viking mythology, actually. Um, They had this understanding, like everyone had this understanding, of a triple-decker universe, right? You have the underworld, you have our realm, Middle Earth, the realm of men, right? Earth itself, and you have the heavenly realm, the realm of the gods, the heavens, right? You have the heavens, the earth, and under the earth. That sounds familiar. That we do get in the Bible, don't we? Christ. Conquered the air, he conquered the heavens when he died. Right, he was put into the tomb, he was put under the earth, and there he ministered. Right, we're told that specifically. Go ahead, what that section where he ministered to those, okay? Oh man, I'm running out of time. I'm not going to get through any of this, it's okay. Uh it's all right, it's all right. So, what did, how did Christ minister when he was under the earth? It says he preached to those souls who were imprisoned prison there, the uh spirits that were imprisoned there. Well, okay. In the mm, you didn't have to, but No, it's okay. I'm glad you are. <laughs> <laughs> all right. In in uh most uh, in church history, right? There's something called uh limbus patri, right? There's the holding place of the fathers. We see this in Christ's parable of Lazarus and the rich man, right? You see that poor beggar Lazarus dying and going to Abraham's bosom, right? We call it Abraham's bosom. And there's a great chasm, a great gulf between him and this rich man that also died there, died at the same time. And the rich man was burning, or whatever, it was hot. And he wanted just a drink of water, They could speak to each other, right? You have the the souls of the damned and the souls of the blessed, being separated by a great gulf, but able to speak to each other, able to commune. We understand this as limbus patre, this holding place. Um, Man, how how in depth do we want to go? Either way. Okay, Jesus said to a man who was about to die next to him, that today you shall be with me in paradise. Where was that? That would have been in Abraham's bosom. That would have been in Sheol. That would have been in the grave, in the underworld, as it were. Right? That would be paradise. Right? That's Technically speaking, that would have been Paris. It's not heaven. It's not the place where God dwells. No man was able to go there. Why couldn't any man go to heaven at that point? Yeah, exactly. Christ hadn't gone before the Father yet. No man's sins were forgiven. And they were covered over. That's what those sacrifices were for, right? They covered man's sins and everything. God passed over sins previously committed, we're told, in, in uh, Romans. But they were not yet washed hadn't away. Been held yet. What's that? The court hadn't been held yeah, exactly. The court had not been held yet. No man can enter God's presence at that point, right? Because, like you just said, Christ needed to go before men. And he did that on when he ascended. He was he went and presented himself to the Father, entering into uh, his mediatorial office, mediatorial role, um, mediating for mankind. Right, and then from then, that's what it says when he says he ascended, or when he rose. He led a host with him. Paul says, right, quoting a psalm. So he took those who were waiting and brought them up into the heavens with him. You could say it that way. Um, It's more technical than that. There's more detail than that, because there's a period of time in between there as well where he ascends by himself. Uh, Man, this is going to be confusing. I'm sorry. But in Hebrews, I'm trying to be quick because I have to close in three minutes, but in Hebrews it says, that those who died before, right? Those great saints, you have the whole of faith, right? All those great saints who died, they're waiting. They, they're not going to be made perfect in, perfect until the saints of, of the writer to the Hebrews day, they're waiting for them, right? In Revelation, you have the souls of men under the altar. Picture the altar as a great mountain under the altar. What's that mountain, right? What's What's there? That where the roots of the mountain go, that's the underworld, right? They're under the, the saying, "How long, O Lord?" And what does God say to them? He gives them robes of white and says, "Wait just a little longer until your brethren come." Right? Those would be the saints who were murdered by the Jews and the Romans, those who were persecuted by the Jews, right? Remember what Jesus says uh, to like, "Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites!" He's going to send them scribes and uh, wise men, etc. and some of them they will persecute from city to city, kill and crucify, etc. Those were the ones that they were waiting for. Stephen started that, right? He was the first martyr. And then you have all the martyrs up through uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, up through that period, up through the apostolic period. The those waiting were man, I'm sorry. Again, like I said, this is I'm just they didn't this want to is get really here important. This I didn't yeah right right yes well, yeah right you have those who came up out of the grave before um, this is not where I wanted to go but this is where we ended up thanks Jerry <laughs> <laughs> all right all right does any of that make sense to anybody yes. yeah okay there's a reason for all of this all right, we see. Um, I'll, I'll try to be as quick as possible. You have. Oh, this is not going to work. Okay, you have different feasts in Leviticus, right? All these feasts. Well, Christ was crucified on Passover, right? Forty days later, well, actually, three days after Passover, you have the 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 feast of of the first fruits, right? And then you then forty days later, you have Pentecost. You have the feast of weeks. Okay, so we know what happens at Pentecost, right? Okay, so, three days after Christ rose, he's the first fruits of those who were raised from the dead, right? That's what Paul says, right? And then, we're told elsewhere that the church of the apostolic church, the Pentecostal church of that day, was the first fruits church, right? I'm trying to connect some dots quickly, I'm sorry. Um, but, those who were died before Christ, those saints who died in faith before before Christ, they were in, like, as we said, limbus patri, right? The, that holding place. They were in the place where Abraham's bosom, we'll call it. And then there's the first fruits church. They needed to die as well in order for those saints to be brought out and brought into heaven. That's why it's the author of the Hebrew says. Um, that they're waiting for them, the apostolic church, to be made perfect. I'll show you real quick. Just so you don't think I'm being weird. Because I know this stuff is weird. I mean, who talks about this stuff? Anybody? Um, so, verse 39 of chapter 11, that, that hall of faith. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins, etc. So, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What were they promised? What were they looking for? Remember that heavenly country. Right? They, were, they were looking for, for, for that heavenly, heavenly country, as, as it says earlier. Um, they did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. See, they, they had to wait. That's why uh, when they were crying out, as it says in Revelation, from under the altar in that netherworld, how long, O oh Lord? And God said, wait until the number of the apostolic church, the Pentecostal church, was completed, until like they were cruci- uh, martyred. All right. Would that also be, they had to wait until the, the guilt of, of, uh, of, uh, of the, the wicked was? With... Until the guilt of the false Jerusalem. Right the earthly Jerusalem was filled. But how is the guilt of the, fo- of the... Remember that mystery Babylon, that harlot? She had a cup, and in that cup was the blood of the, the, the saints, right? Remember that great wine press of the wrath of God that's being trodden? Most people think that that's the wicked being trampled there. That's not. That's the saints being trampled there. And it's filling up that cup. Just like what happens when you drink... Christ's blood unworthily, what happens? Judgment, Judgment, right? Judgment. So what happens when that mystery Babylon drinks the blood of the saints within her? Judgment, Judgment, right. And then she's thrown down. Fallen is Babylon, etc., 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 right? And the saints then are lifted up. Yes, absolutely. That is is absolutely true. That's why they had to wait. Because remember what Jesus said to to The Pharisees. He said, On you will come all the blood shed upon the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel all the way to, you know, yeah, all the way to Z. The blood of uh, Zechariah, Zechariah, son of Barakiah, right, et cetera. And they had to fill up the cup. Fill up then the cup. Uh, You know, let's just go there real quick. My goodness, I'm running too late here. I'm sorry. No, no, I know, I know. It is. Kind of, but not, it, I mean, it is, it's important, but it's, Got yeah. yeah, all right, uh, 23, 35, so that on you might come, all right, right here, verse 32, fill up then the measure of your fathers, uh, I should go to 31, sorry, or 30, uh. if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have. Taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are the sons of those who murder the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you uh, to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you might come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. That's what he's talking about there. Hopefully you guys see the connection between that verse and what we were talking about before. Um, That's why they had to wait. Because Jerusalem was filling up the measure of all... uh, Their their cup was not yet full. So the blessings of... um, Well, the promise could not be fulfilled until that cup was filled up. Okay? Because remember, this is also very important. Um, the gospel is two-edged, right? It, it, it blesses the saints, and it d- judges the wicked. It damns the wicked, right? So it's like persecution. Persecution is twofold as well. It blesses the saints. Blessed are you when men persecute you and value. You, but it also condemns those who are doing the persecution. Okay? So the same thing here. They had to wait. The saints had to wait until that cup was filled up. And that cup was filled up with those to whom Jesus sent to Jerusalem, some of whom they killed and crucified, some of whom they flogged in their synagogues, etc. Hopefully that makes sense. There's a light side of the cross and a dark side for the cross. Always. Hand. So, um, way off topic, sorry. <laughs> um, Babylon drank the blood of the saints? Yes, Babylon drank the blood of the saints. She thought she was doing God's work. Yeah. Yeah, what, what happens when, when um, God's people are persecuted? When, when God's people's blood is shed on the earth, that blood cries out, and God judges the nation on whom it is. So when we are persecuted, the nation is coming down, right? It will fall. And so will the powers that stand behind it. All right, let's pray. This is nowhere near what I wanted to talk about, but... Hopefully it was helpful and useful. I mean, persecution is not a bad thing. It's, it judges the nation that is the persecutor, right? It's their judgment. That's why Justin Martyr, when he was being persecuted, pled with them not to persecute, not to uh, martyr him, not for his sake, but for theirs. Because you don't know what you're bringing down upon yourself. Anyways, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for your word. It is complex, and it is rich, and it is filled with uh, so much for, Lord. A myriad of ideas that are all connected and hard to fathom, Father. It shows that you rule over everything. It shows that Christ was given dominion over everything, that he conquered everything when he died and rose again. We didn't even get to speak about the resurrection, Lord. But his death in his death, he defeated Satan, Lord, and in his resurrection he defeated uh, the grave itself, he defeated death itself, and he dragged all of creation with him into new life, Father, and we are participants in that new life, and we thank you, Lord, that we can, and Father, if it be our lot to be persecuted, we pray that you would give us boldness and um, strength and grace and conviction, Lord. If it's not, Father, we pray that we would live faithfully just the same. We pray, Lord God, that as we seek to worship you today, that you'd be pleased with our worship, that we'd come before you with clean hands and a pure heart, that we would um, be able to enter into those heavenly places, Father, with the angels and those saints who have gone before, and uh, praise the lamb that was slain that is now alive, that has defeated sin, death, and the devil. Father God, we do give you thanks for his victory and that we are participants in it. Lord, may we glorify and magnify him today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.